Father, we are grateful to you for your presence through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are grateful that we are your children. And Lord, as we gather together, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do your work. We invite you to uh, go into the nooks and crannies of uh, of our very beings and, and <clears throat> shine your light there. And Lord, that you would do your work so that uh, what you want to happen today happens. Because we know it's all about that. We know it's about your kingdom happening here on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you. We surrender our hearts to you. And we are just grateful for this opportunity to be together as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as a way of introduction, uh, those of you that missed yesterday, uh, my wife and I are, are both uh, missionary children, missionary kids from Africa. We grew up in Africa. I was born there. Uh, my wife arrived in Africa about two years old. She, she started off in Ethiopia, and then after Ethiopia shut its borders to missionaries, moved over to Liberia. I grew up in West Africa. In, uh, I was born in the Ivory Coast and uh, grew up in the country of Mali, uh, my grandparents actually were missionaries in the country of Guinea, where Lori and I are ser- have been serving since 1995. And so we uh, say we are American Africans, just so that we, we are very comfortable there. We spent 40-plus years of our lives in Africa. And God has raised us up in that context because uh, it is our home. It is a place that we feel very, very comfortable in. And uh, even though now it's getting a little bit more uncomfortable in the sense that my grandchildren are beginning to populate America. And so when that happens, you know, it's harder for us to be away. But uh, we have uh, had the privilege of being missionaries there in Guinea since 1995. And we are planning to go back in June uh, after our home assignment is finished. One of the reasons why, or the main reason why we are in Guinea, West Africa, is, <clears throat> is because we, we have sensed and felt the, the call of the king to go and give his good news about his kingdom. You see, when the king announced his good news, he, he came and he said these words. He said, the time has come, and the reason why he said the time has come in, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the reason why he said the time has come is because his predecessor, his cousin, John the Baptist, had been announcing the same message, right? And the message that he had been announcing was to prepare the way for the arrival of the king. And that message that John the Baptist was, uh, was giving was the the same message that the king would also give, and he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is here. And as he began to do that and, and stirred up all kinds of trouble and eventually got on the bad side of the, of the king in, in that area, Herod, John the Baptist got put in, in prison, and then the time had come, and the king 
came and he started to announce the same message, but now the message was being fulfilled. Why? Because the king had arrived. And when the king arrived, he, his message, again, hadn't changed, but it was very important to the people that he was giving this message because in their mind, when he said the kingdom of the heavens or the kingdom of God is, is here, he knew that they would understand that differently. Why? Because the Old Testament proclaimed that the king, through the line of David, would come back one day and would rule eternally. And as soon as you start talking about kings and kingdoms, the, the minds of the people that he was addressing, his, the, the, his fellow Israelites, would, would automatically say, wow, this is the time that we've heard about for so long. The Messiah has come. He's come up to set, set up his eternal rule. And Jesus had to, to use a word that we've kind of Christianized, we've kind of put into our own vocabulary, and he used the word repent. And, and in our mind, as we think about repentance, we, we, we tend to uh, go into places about repenting from sin, and it is about that, but it really is, is a simple Greek word, or actually two Greek words that are, are put together. And, and it really is, a, in a sense, meaning we need to line up our minds with the truth, right? And what is this truth? We need to line up with this, this idea of what the kingdom really is about. And, and in the minds of the people there, they were thinking, Right now, this king is coming, and he's going to chase out these Romans that are, are being such a humbug to us, and now we're going to be back in church, right? And so he's saying to the people, I need you to realign your thinking, because there's a reality here that you must understand, and the reality is that the good news of the king and his kingdom is about to take place. It's going to be unlike what you think it is. And you must change the way you think about that, and you must line up your thinking to match that. Because otherwise, you're going to say, oh, there it is, oh, there it is. And he's going to, he says, no, it's that thing that is in you, in, am in amongst you. Paul would use these words. He said, when the kingdom is there when he was comparing it to eating and, and, and those kind of things. He said, the kingdom is about righteousness. The kingdom about, is about peace. The kingdom about, is about joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom is. And when we experience the kingdom in those senses, then we begin to understand that we have aligned ourselves with the king and his kingdom. And that is what we uh, have been called to do as we have gone to uh, Guinea and, and to Africa to announce the good news of the king and his kingdom. And today I want to tell you a, a story about two women, and uh, we'll get to them in, in, in a minute here, but I think their stories will help us to understand 
what it looks like. What would be a word picture? What would it be an actuality of, of, of someone lining themselves up with the king and his kingdom? What would, what would the effect be on their lives? And I think as you hear their stories, you will begin to understand that that it almost sounds like we've, we've ripped it out of the pages of the New Testament and, and these, these ladies ha, are experiencing something that I think a lot of us long for. And I think the, the invitation that I would have for us today is that we would, would, would look inside of us and we would, we would ask a very brutally honest question about ourselves. Is my life lined up with the king and his kingdom? Or am I experiencing things in my life that don't line up with the king and his kingdom? Now, the clues that Jesus gives us, whether we are lined up with him, because, you know, when, when the king speaks... When the king speaks, he begins to paint this landscape of reality that is beyond the, the view of our normal, everyday eyes, our physical eyes. And he begins to talk to us about things that seem just out of place, weird, impossible maybe. And, and he begins to, to, to explain to us that the reality, the landscape of the heavenly kingdom and the, the reality that we can actually live there is perhaps sometimes beyond our imagination. And his invitation is always that we would line ourselves up with the king and his kingdom so that we would experience his righteousness, his peace, and the joy in the Holy Spirit. And so as you think about the things that, that crowd into your life, the, the, the worries, the anxieties, the fears, those things that, that are, are telling you that perhaps the, the light and easy burden of the king, which he invites us to, to put on him and accept his load and to learn from him this life which will give us peace for our souls if we will be brutally honest about that, perhaps we can then come back to our senses and as we are, 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 have this, this, this overwhelming fear, these overwhelming anxieties, we, we can, as in, in Colossians chapter 3, in the first couple uh, verses there, we, we, can, we can bring ourselves back into the reality of the king and his kingdom. And it says there that you and I are actually seated with the king in the heavenly places. And as you are seated in that place next to the king, here's the, 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 the thing that I would ask you to do. Take your largest, your greatest, your biggest anxiety, biggest fear that you have right now, the thing that is consuming your thoughts these days, and I want you to take that, and in that place where you are in the heavenly places, I want you to turn and look at the king who is seated next to you, and I want you to ask Jesus, are you worried about that? 
You see, that is the key. Because the king, as he was leaving, he said what to us? He said to us that I have all power, I have all authority there and here. And that's what you can walk in. And if anything comes and tries to take that place, you know that you're not lined up with my kingdom. And so, if, if some of the, the guys that were there yesterday in Sunday school, I showed you a video of all the, the vehicles, you know, the, the roads and all of that, and you, you noticed how, how nice those roads were. Well, nice roads, you know, eventually have wear and tear on your vehicles, and sometimes when you're in an accident, um, it creates all kinds of problems, and, and if you've ever had a vehicle that had a, a problem with its alignment, right? Uh, you, you, you know that as you're going down the road, it's trying to pull one way or the other like this, you know, and, and you've always, you're always fighting the steering wheel to bring it back into line. Often in Africa, uh, after in Guinea, as we're driving down our nice roads, we'll, we'll come across vehicles that <clears throat> there in Africa, they take a very practical way of uh, doing alignment, of doing wheel alignment. You know, we come in here, we have... We have all the computerization to make sure that everything is exactly, you know, right. There, they just take a, a string and they and they t- and they do it along the tires and make sure that they're lined up and going in the same direction, right? Everything's in just quite right. What well, what they often forget, especially when there's been an accident, is that they they forget that they don't line the wheels up with the the actual chassis of the car the, the the vehicle itself they're just lining their the tires up with themselves right and so as you're going down the road and you're, you 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 see this vehicle coming at you and it, and the 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 wheels seem to be going along with the road but the chassis seems like it's coming right at you right this right and and so the alignment is is off and uh, the invitation that we have today is, is to ask ourselves the question, is my life, in all of its intricacies, is it really lined up? You see, the evidence, the symptoms of, of, of being misaligned in your vehicle is that, you know, your, your, your wheels get... Your tires get all chewed up. You, get, you have this, this feeling that you have to always fight it. And, and in the symptomatic way in our own lives, what is it that's pulling us out of line with the king? Are we experiencing that deep, deep peace in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of a life that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, yet in the midst of all of that, we're experiencing a joy in the Holy Spirit. The woman on your right, um, her name is Umu, and uh, Umu and the other one is Bintu. Uh, we're at uh, the the picture was taken when Bintu was was just ha- having been baptized. 
And these uh, ladies uh, come from a, a tribe in Guinea that, and this tribe is actually, ethnic group is, is across Africa. Uh, they live all over the world now, but this tribe is, is called the Fulani tribe. And the Fulani tribe is probably 40 million plus uh, in the world today. And uh, they are proudly Muslim, 99.99 whatever percent Muslim. And so they, they consider themselves the standard bearers of, of Islam. In some countries in Africa, they actually are very um, fundamentalist and very terroristic type of things. Uh, in our part, not so much, but they're very proudly Muslim. And uh, when Lori and I arrived in, in Guinea in 1995, we, um, we could count maybe on one hand the, the number of Fulanis that had be become followers of Jesus. Because that was just not accepted. You, you, the idea of a Fulani being a Christian was, was not possible. Not possible. But today, we've seen hundreds come to the Lord. And, and it's, it's amazing to see that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all kinds of things that would say it's impossible for a Fulani to become a Christian, uh, that, that Jesus is drawing them to himself. The king is calling them out, and he's inviting them into and to experience the life that he offers, this eternal kind of life, this, this life in the kingdom. And his invitation is such that if they will do that, that they can actually experience something that seems impossible in the world that they live in. And I want to talk about their stories just to help us to understand what does it look like when we line ourselves up with the king and his kingdom. Umu, who is on the right there, comes from a, uh, an interesting family, very erudite, very... Um, proud Fulani family. Weird in, in a sense because her dad only took one wife. Normally Muslims take up to four wives and, uh, in that part of, of Africa and it's considered very normal. And, and so in an, uh, kind of an un abnormal way, Umu came from a very loving family. A family where the father uh, only took one wife because he, he really loved his family and he especially loved his daughter Umu. Very wealthy family, lived up in a, in, in a part of the, the place where the Fulanis live there, the, the Futa Jalon, which is a mountainous area. And, and, and they were very proud and uh, uh, just be, were the people that were known have, have followed Islam for a long, long time and had gone many times on the, the pilgrimage to Mecca, uh, that, those kinds of Muslims. <clears throat> and so because they were wealthy, uh, his, her father sent her off to university in the country to the north of us, Senegal, up to Dakar. And up there, she was getting her master's degree. Well, uh, there was a guy uh, that was a, a believer, a, a Christian, and his, his father is actually the director of our Bible school, of our Alliance Bible School in, in Guinea. And this guy, uh, who actually is pretty famous in, in Guinea, he's on one of the, the, the most famous uh, popular 
uh, talk shows, both on the radio and on the television. And so everybody knows who this guy is. And so one day he had gone up to, to Senegal, to Dakar, to give a presentation up there give, do, because of, of his popularity. And he ran into Umu there and uh, really liked her and decided, hey, let's, let's try to get this together, you know. Uh, after a while, Umu was kind of standoffish. They, they kind of developed a relationship. But, but Umu, after a while, said, hey, Zach, his name is Zachary. He said, Zach, um, you're a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I will never become a Christian. You'll never become a Muslim. Uh, let's call this thing off. You know, this is just not going to work out for us. So it, it, as they, as they uh, did that, they, um, uh, Umu's mom kind of regretted that because he said to Umu, you know what, this guy, he's popular. Everybody knows him. It'd be a good marriage. And besides, I think we could get him to come over to our side. You know, we can offer him some money. We can do whatever. Uh, and, and I think that's possible. And so Umu continued in the relationship. One night, Umu uh, had a horrifying, terrifying, demonic-like nightmare. It, it bothered her so much that the next uh, few days, as she was discussing this with Umu and some of her, or with her, with Zach and some of the others around her, um, it, it just really bothered her. And uh, in the process, Zach and others said, "Hey, let's go talk to my pa- to his pastor and actually our pastor as well out there in Guinea." And, and in that process, uh, they prayed for her, and that really brought her a lot of peace in that time. She hadn't decided to follow Jesus or anything, but they were able to pray and they were able to to really establish uh, peace in her. And then it happened. She had another dream. And in this dream, Jesus appeared to her. And as I uh, had the privilege of baptizing her alongside of our, our pastor, our common pastor, uh, I, I asked her, uh, Umu, could you just explain to us as, we're, as you're entering into the waters of baptism, why is it that you're following Jesus? And she said, none of you here invited me to follow Jesus. Jesus appeared to me in a dream. And Jesus and I were walking along in my, our, my dream And Jesus was explaining to me that I needed to follow him, that he wanted me to follow him. And I was arguing with with Jesus that, you know, if I do that, my family will reject me. My, My family will persecute me. My family will perhaps try to kill me. And Jesus said these words to her. He said, Umu, let me worry about that. All I want you to do is to follow me. And so from that point of that dream, Umu took that and ran with it. Well, if you don't know the Fulani people, you you, you must understand that Fulani people 
aren't necessarily the most up and up people as far as they're quite deceitful, <laughs> okay? Uh, Lori and I have worked with the Fulani people. We, when we arrived in Guinea, we actually learned their language. And uh, as, we, as we worked with them, one of the things that we discovered is that the Fulani people are always after something else. They'll make it seem like they're doing this, but <laughs> they're after this, you know? And so <clears throat> that was really bothersome to uh, her pastor uh, and our pastor, and this was before I knew, knew Umu. And so uh, the pastor said, hey, I'd like to bring this girl over, uh, and I'd like for us to just talk with her and just kind of figure out where is she with, with Jesus. Because I, I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable given that Fulanis are, are like this. And so I said, sure, we, we could sit down. And so because I spoke the language, I was able to ask her some, some, some questions. And, and, and this was what's shocking to me was that as I was talking with Umu, my, my anticipation was that she was being deceitful, that this was not real, that this was not true, what she was saying, that she wanted to follow Jesus. What was shocking to me is as we were testing her and as we were talking and as we were praying with her, I, I came away with this feeling that I have never, ever sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone so strongly as I did in Umu. It shocked me because that's not what I was expecting. And you see, Umu had decided that she was going to follow her king. And that no matter what happened, that's what she would do. And, and so the next time that I really got to, to, to be with Umu, we were, we were doing a conference. And as we were going through the conference, she receives a call from her father. And her father says to her on the phone, he had just gone to Mecca on a pilgrimage. And this time he had gone to Mecca to pray specifically that her, his daughter who had left Islam would come back. In fact, while he was there, he would actually purchase medicine. And when I say purchase medicine, I'm talking witchcraft, sorcery type of things. That He would purchase medicine from an Islamic uh, witch doctor. They would call him a different name, but basically a sorcerer in Islam. And, and, and he would bring back that medicine so that somehow his daughter Umu, who he loved very much, would come back to Islam. And as she called her on the phone, he said to Umu, I am on a hunger strike right now until you come back to Islam. Talk about pressure. Talk about the, 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 the idea that uh, your family is going to do everything to try to get you back to Islam. And against our better judgment and, and those that were counseling her, the family invited her to go back up to the village where they lived and to, to be able to discuss this idea. And Umu, who seemed like she had no fear, went, went up to the village. And in the midst of all the pressure, saying that, Umu, you must come back, you must come back, she stood her ground. Her aunt, one night as she was there, said, you better get out of here because I, I, I know they're planning to do something to you. 
you better leave because they're going to they're gonna either try to kidnap you, just keep you here, or they might even try to kill you. So the next morning, she took off, came back. But she, she said she, she had this peace about it. You, you know, this idea that Jesus was taking care of her in the midst of all this family pressure. Well, then there was another invitation for her to go back up. And this time, the family was very serious because they, they gathered all the family, I mean, all the members, and they, they were scattered all over in Guinea and, and other places. And they came back together, and they even invited the imam, uh, the, the, the Muslim pastor, to come and to be a part of this, this family meeting. And as they, they posed the question to the imam, they said, this is our problem, our daughter has lost, is, uh, left Islam, what do you recommend? And he says, if she will not come, the Quran specifically says you must kill her right now. Again, as Umu experienced that, she was not afraid. She was at peace. Even in that time, her father had gone to the, lar- the, to the strongest, the well, most well-known witch doctor in Islam in that area, had gone there and said, I, I will give you anything. I will pay you anything for the medicine that will bring my daughter back to Islam. And as the, the witch doctor went into his, his sorcery, and he went into the spirit realm, and then he looked in the spirit realm at Umu. He came back and he said to the father, I have never, ever seen a spirit so large, so big, and so strong. There's nothing I can do. The name of that spirit is Isa, which is the Muslim word for Jesus. And as they were terminating their time there, they finally said to Umu, uh, we are disowning you. If you die, it's no concern of ours. If we die, it's no concern of yours. You are no longer our daughter. And so Umu would respond in tenderness and love to her family that day and say to them, I love you. I will never reject you. But I can never leave Jesus. You may reject me, but I will never reject you. And Umu had to go into hiding because the, the family was actively pursuing her to kidnap her and probably to kill her. She stayed with us for a week, with our colleagues for a few weeks. But you see, when we decide to line our lives up with the king, we, we don't have to worry about what we're going to say. Jesus made that very clear. Even when you stand before the biggest person in the whole wide world, at that time, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. And as we, as we submit our lives to the king and his kingdom, that's what happens. I would... Uh, ask that you would remember Umu. You see, on the other side, Zach's family, Zach and Umu have been trying to get married for a long time, but even Zach's family is 
persecuting them because of the ethnic problems. Uh, here they are Christians, but they don't want him to marry a Fulani. And you have to be in Africa to understand all of those different types of things. And so they're getting almost as much persecution on that side. But, and here's the prayer request. They're supposed to get married the second week of March. I would ask that you would just pray that that happens. And uh, that God would, would bring all of that together and that it would be uh, a union that God, that God has, has planned uh, for a long, long time for them. You see, in, uh, in the Fulani people, they know about Jesus. They talk about Jesus a lot. Even in the mosque, they'll preach about Jesus. Because Jesus is considered one of their prophets, right? And, and so, because he is considered to be such a, a big person in their religion, the, the Fulani people, out of respect, you would never, in, in, the, in the African context, talk about somebody with their real name. Because that would be disrespectful, and especially among the Fulani people. And so when they talk about Jesus, they use other words to talk about Jesus. And those words that they use are, are words that describe who he is to the Fulani people. And so when they say, when they talk about Jesus in the mosque, their, their name for him would be Memmasella. Memmasella. And that should be very clear to all of you, right? No, it means the one who touches and the one who heals. You see? They, they understand that Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one that can bring these things to them. And so they, they're very respectful about that, even if they don't follow him. And, and so in Bintu's case, the, the girl on the, the left here, uh, she had a, a very different experience than, than uh, Umu. See, Bintu, from a very early age, had struggled and, uh, with problems with evil spirits. Her family background had created so much problems for her that from a very early age in her life, she would often be on the ground rolling around. De uh, the demonization of her was, was so intense that... At times, uh, she thought she was going crazy. And so in that context, her family said to, to Bintu, you need to get help. We're afraid you're going to go absolutely bonkers, and we need, we're, we're giving you our blessing and our permission to find help wherever you can find it. We've heard that the Christians and this person named Memmasella could help you. Even if you have to become a, a, a Christian, we give you our blessing because we, we, we can't stand to see what's happening to you. <clears throat> so Bintu found uh, the church that we go to, unbeknownst to us. And we were, we were doing um, uh, a time of, of meetings with them. And, and one Sunday as we were, were, were finishing up and we were... Um, they, they, they told me that this one girl uh, was rolling around on the ground, kind of like what you see in the New Testament where, 
you know, they, 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 they're thrashing and everything. And, and, and when, a, when a person is demonized like that, you, you can get five or six men on them and you can't, you can't calm them down. They, they're, they're so strong. And as I asked her name, uh, they told me what her name was, and I said, oh, she's a fula. And so I began to, to calm her down and pray over her, and I began to speak to her in Fulani. And uh, as we uh, got her calmed down, we, we, we set up some time to meet with her. And over a period of four or five sessions with her, as we began to uncover the, the effects of the evil spirits in her life, and they, they ranged from evil spirits that were in, in her dreams where she was married to an evil spirit and she had children with the evil spirits. And as we began to kick these out one by one by one, we got finally to the end where we, we discovered that in her background, her, great, her grandmothers, through sorcery, had passed on evil spirits to her. And when we set her free, we say, I say we, it wasn't us, it was Jesus. When Jesus set her free from those evil spirits, Bintu's life is so radically transformed now that she can't help but talk about Jesus. You know, in the, in the New Testament, there's, one, there's a place where Jesus is invited into the, um, to the home of Simon the Pharisee, right? And Simon the Pharisee is, is all bothered that this prostitute has come in and is, is uh, crying and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, right? And, and he's saying to himself that if this guy was really a prophet... You know, he would know who this lady is, but probably he isn't because a prophet would know that, you know. And so Jesus takes the, the words and he said, you know, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, okay, master, <laughs> go ahead and say it. He says, um, there were two guys that, that owed money to somebody. One of them owed a little bit of money and this other one owed a lot of money, something that you couldn't even imagine. And, and so both of them were forgiven their debt. And uh, he said, well, who do you think would love that, that, that guy that cleared their debt the most? Well, probably the one that had the most debt, right? And then he says, you see this lady here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to stop thinking about her. She has been forgiven much and so she loves deeply and intensely because she has been forgiven so much she knew the depths of her sin because you Simon haven't understood how much of a sinner you are but she knows she knows she's lived with that shame and she understands that she has been forgiven and so she loves, loves deeply. You see, Bintu experienced freedom in such a deep and intense way. As she lined herself up with the king and his kingdom, she has discovered that 
that kind of life, something that she could not imagine, she was experiencing. And so when she gets into a taxi now, she must tell everybody in that taxi about the one who freed her. She is so persistent that the taxi drivers get angry at her, saying that you are causing us to lose all of our fares because all you can talk about is Memma Sella, Isa. As we were coming from the baptism, we just, this was the picture taken at our baptism, and um, <clears throat> I, I gave the privilege of baptizing her to a Fulani pastor who had been helping with her discipleship and our, our pastor. And I, I was there and I want to listen. I was, I was videoing. Bintu said something that surprised all of us. She said, would you mind, as part of my testimony of why I'm following Jesus, would you, would you mind if I sang a song that God gave me? Wow, <laughs> of course. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that in testimony in, in a song? And, and that's kind of strange for Fulani because you don't really sing in, in, in Pular because that's not an Islamic type of thing. But, but Bintu had experienced the king in such a way that she, she, she made up this song. And in her song, she, she would use these words, words that are very culturally uh, appropriate in, 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 in that setting where... In, in, in Africa, greetings are so important, right? Greetings, you, you greet when you come and you talk a lot about greetings and then as you're leaving, you're greeting each other. And, and even in, in the mosque, as, as you're done praying, you're, you're, you're greeting one another and there's a very highly significant kind of a, a, a fellowship type of a word that they would use when, when they greet one another. And so Bintu took that word that meant to greet in that sense. And she says in her song, Jesus greets you. And, as she, and she's talking to her brothers and sisters and the Fulani people. She says, Jesus goes to where you live and he greets you. But when Jesus greets you, the blind see when Jesus greets you, the lame walk again. When Jesus greets you, the deaf and the dumb, they speak and they hear again. And then she adds this phrase on. When Jesus greets you, the demons, they leave. And we experience his greetings because he brings his life into us. And that's a place where the enemy cannot stand. The invitation that we have for you today is to think about your life and the way you have lined it up. If you see and you sense that your life is out of alignment with the king and his kingdom, He's inviting you to line it back up. But you must be willing. You must be willing to do that. Because we can't experience His peace, His joy, His righteousness 
unless we're willing to come and line ourselves up with the king and his kingdom. Let's pray. Our great heavenly father, we are so amazed that you would give us everything. And by everything, I I mean Jesus. I mean the King. And I mean his words, which are life. And they are peace. And they are joy. And they are righteousness. And they are reality. And Lord, we invite you through your Holy Spirit to, to look inside of each one of us. And, and to go between our, the bone and the marrow and, and, and discern where it is that we are out of line with your kingdom. Jesus, we invite you to make your kingdom so here in our lives as it is in heaven. We are so grateful for the privilege of being your children. We are so grateful that we don't need to live in fear and anxiety and worry about the things that the world is all concerned about. But that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all of these things that surround us, making it seem impossible, would you open our eyes like the servant of Elisha, that we would see the reality of your landscape, that when you are with us, there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from that joy, from that peace, from that love. And we thank you that we have that privilege as your children. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.